Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in the book of Mark with chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. This is where Jesus instituted what we often refer to as communion. Pastor Jim is usually more considerate in allowing me some time for a brief introduction. But this week, due to the length of the material that we have to cover, we're going to go directly into today's slice of the sermon entitled, The Lord's Supper. Judas slipped out and made the pretense of taking care of business, but in fact, what he did is he scurried across town to the chief priests. He wanted to alert them and their forces to the opportunity that they were going to have to arrest Jesus in the garden. Well, after Judas left, that's when Jesus transformed the Passover into the Lord's table, also called the Lord's Supper, or also called communion, because we commune with each other and celebrate our communion with the Lord. So that night, in this meal, Jesus signaled the transition from the old covenant to the new. Jesus' words recorded in this passage mark the end of all Old Testament symbols and sacrifices and holidays and rituals. All the symbols of the old covenant pointed to Christ. The tabernacle pointed to pointed to Christ. The Passover lambs pointed to Christ. All the bulls and rams pointed to Christ. The priesthood pointed to Christ. All of that pointed to Christ. And in his death and his resurrection, all those things, all those pictures and types and prophecies were fulfilled and replaced. When the veil in the temple was torn into, remember, Friday afternoon, that's when the old, co- the old covenant was rendered obsolete. Now, that's the Passover meal. I want to do one more thing today. Again, this passage is going to pretty much interpret itself when we get there. You won't have a problem with the, with the verses that we're going to look at. But I'd like to give you a look at the institution of the Lord's Supper in the perspective of the big picture of the Bible. And I'd like to have you maybe get planted in your mind a couple of things that will help you with understanding how to interpret the Bible in its big picture. You need to see the balance between two aspects of truth about the doctrine of revelation and about the Bible itself. You need to pay attention simultaneously to continuity within the Bible and discontinuity within the Bible. Let me flesh that out a little bit. One important principle that you have heard us mention before is the concept of progressive revelation. From beginning to the end, the Bible is one seamless unveiling of the plan of God from creation to ultimate consummation. 
and there's steady progress along the way. The Bible doesn't move from wrong to right or bad to good, but it does move from incomplete to complete. I've always said it this way. If you have only the book of Genesis, you would have in your hand the inspired, inerrant Word of God. But it isn't the complete Word of God. Genesis is the headwaters of many rivers of doctrine that flow through the whole Bible and then finally come together in the end, in the fulfillment. But there is tremendous progress in unveiling the plan of God. Add to Genesis the book of Exodus. Well, that's a whopper. We get Israel out of Egypt. We have the Passover. We have the tabernacle. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the beginning of the, uh, of the giving of the law. Add in Leviticus, a whole much more details about that. Then you add the rest of the Torah or the books of Moses, those first five books. And that's a lot. Ah, but then there's another whole section of your Bible. The next 12 books are books of history. Joshua through Esther. And you see more of the development of the plan of God and how he worked with Israel and Israel's good days and their bad days and, and all that God did with them and the developing of a, of a kingdom and all of those things. But then even more is made known in the next five books, the books of poetry or the books of wisdom literature. That's Job through Song of Solomon. And, and you see a lot revealed there about God's practical wisdom, the, his, his moral law uh, revealed in, in details in a lot of those things. And then a lot more is made, uh, is made known of his plan as you read through the next five books that we call the major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel. Well, you got a lot there and a lot confronting the spiritual issues within Israel, but a lot looking forward to the Messiah and his, and his kingdom and his sacrifice and all of that. But you still wouldn't have the full story of everything leading up to Messiah until you include the 12 books of the minor prophets. So what you have in your hand that has the adjective old in front of it, the Old Testament or Old Covenant consists of 39 books, the way we measure and count the books in English. Five books of law, 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five major prophets, and 12 minor prophets. And if you're going to accurately interpret any passage in the Bible, you need to pay attention to where it fits in the progressive revelation of God. For example... Adam and Eve were promised a redeemer. But you know what? They'd never read Isaiah 53. Hadn't been written yet. So there's a lot of progress, a lot of things that are filled in. Now, after those 39 books that we call the Old Testament or Old Covenant, there were 400 years of revelatory silence, meaning there were no inspired books given by God, to cover that time. But then, the old covenant, the era of the law, all of that stuff together, it is brought to its culmination with the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The last four books 
of your Bible under the Old Covenant are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You say, well, wait a second. That's in my Bible under the new part. Okay, after the 400 years of silence, coming of Messiah, great big deal. Those four books record Jesus' life and ministry, culminating in His death and resurrection. The rest of your Bible is, in some ways, parallel to the Old Testament. There are other books that continue the progress of the unfolding of the fullness of the revelation of God. In the New Testament, it's not 12 books of history, it's one book of history, the book of Acts. That's followed by 21 epistles or letters, 13 of them from the Apostle Paul, eight of them we tend generally lump under the expression uh, general epistles. And then it concludes with one book of prophecy. So 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. It is all one continuous, connected story progressing from beginning to end, from incomplete to complete. And it's crucial that you understand the amazing continuity of the Bible, how it holds together so amazingly well, even though it's written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year span in three different languages. It's, It's astounding. But that's only part of the picture. You also need to understand the elements of discontinuity within your Bible. Because our passage today is going to deal with one of those points of discontinuity. Woven into that progress of revelation are several important changes, you might say, from one era to another. What are we talking about when we think about changes from era to era within the Bible? Well, the first one comes early. You get two really cool chapters and then a major bummer in Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Things were very different after Adam and Eve fell than they were before that, and more revelation was given. Then the next big one, things were very different before and after the flood, and you might lump together with that not only the judgment in the flood, but then the, the judgment of the scattering of the people and the, scat- and, the, and the confusion of the languages at the Tower of Babel. Big point of change going on there. Things were very different before and after God gave the law through Moses. The law was a oh, great big deal. It regulated worship in Israel. It, it had several elements to it that helped keep Israel distinct and apart from all of the other nations. That very long period of the era of law is uh, what covers most of the pages of the Old Testament. Then there's a whopper of a change before and after Jesus. Things were very different, starting with the incarnation. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those pictures, the reality of all of those, those shadows, of the, 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 the point of all of those types and the fulfillment of all the prophecies. All of those countless sacrifices under the Mosaic law, they included all the Passovers that started before the law. All of that pointed to Jesus' once-for-all satisfactory sacrifice to make atonement 
for sins. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.